To another episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast, I am Matthew Friedman, the Editor-in-Chief of Fantasy Labs, and with me is Ian Harditz, the Director of the Fantasy Labs NFL Platform and an Action Network Analyst. You can follow him in the Action Network app at iHarditz. Ian, we are officially one week removed from the first day of the NFL Draft. Uh, I'm still in something of a post-draft hangover. Uh, I'm wondering how you are doing. I'm doing great, man. I was waiting for all these rosters to get set, really. I'm, I'm not as into, I guess, scouting the prospects before they're on their teams as some other guys. So it was almost like Christmas Day for me was the draft. Now I'm just opening all my presents for the next week after. So I'm still in a great mood. Yeah. I mean, for me, I guess maybe it's something like like Halloween where you get all of this candy and then you eat it all at once and then you just crash from your sugar high. So that's <laughs> that's what I feel I've, I've been in, a, a sugar-induced coma. But uh, yeah, so for this episode, we're going to talk about all of the things kind of post-draft. So we're going to talk about a piece, Ian, that you wrote on rookie year production and how it relates to draft position. We're going to look at my dynasty rookie rankings, which are available on the site. We will highlight some veteran winners and losers, and we will touch on my top 200 dynasty rankings, which are also on the site. So a, a packed show. Let's jump into it. Ian, what did you find? in your article looking at draft position and how it correlates to rookie year production. Yes, yeah, so I went ahead and I pulled every person that got drafted from quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends over the last 10 years and just wanted to see what rounds were the top rookie performers coming in. I defined that as just finishing the season in the top 20 in PPR at your position. Big takeaways were, in general, you want to be in, drafted in the top three rounds to really get a chance to contribute as a rookie. Doesn't mean that you can't be a six-round pick, but it's just rare. And I think that has to do with both the talent of the players getting picked higher uh, generally. And also, you know, if you're a general manager, it makes sense for you to give chances to the players that you drafted high because it doesn't really look good for you if you're bringing in an undrafted running back. It's all of a sudden better than your third round pick. So uh, just those two forces, I think, have kind of worked hand in hand to generally give uh, high, high round draft picks more opportunities earlier in their career, which I think makes sense. But it has been more severe at different positions. Uh, like We have a few more examples of late round running backs and tight ends posting big numbers of the year. Um, over the years, but much more rare for uh, quarterbacks and wide receivers. But big thing to know with rookies is I, I think for the most part, we can ignore tight ends. I know this year's class has a couple of good ones and fan Hawkinson, but over the last 10 years, only Evan Ingram has been a top 10 fantasy tight end. And he needed a four game season from Odell Beckham Jr. because he broke his uh, ankle pretty early on. So a uh, really tough stretch for them. And then uh, in terms of the quarterbacks, it's kind of been uh, the same deal where pretty tough to find a rookie one unless they're going to be prominently featured as a starter from day one. Only five quarterbacks drafted outside of the first round uh, have went on to post a top 20 season as a rookie over the past 10 years. Each of them has some fairly unique circumstances that got them there. So that was kind of the big takeaways. Not, you know, overly, I guess, it wasn't anything that was too shocking. But, you know, just keep in mind that maybe when there's that running back that you were super into before the draft that has landed on a team in round six, uh, maybe we shouldn't expect the most year one production. 
Yeah, makes uh, makes a lot of sense. I mean, I wouldn't say it's a hard and fast rule, but I mean, it pretty much is. If a guy isn't, if a rookie isn't drafted in the top hundred picks in the NFL draft, I pretty much don't look at him for year one. The only time in which I made an exception was Alfred Morris, which I, I got really lucky, and that was pretty much just because of Shanahan and just because there wasn't an established running back on that team, and Alfred Morris was getting some hype. But uh, yeah, for the most part. Anyone not drafted in the top three rounds can pretty much be ignored. Ian, let's talk about these uh, these quarterbacks. Real quick on Alfred Morris. Uh, yeah, you nailed one of the four non-top three round yeah. running backs uh, to post a top 20 season as a rookie over the past 10 years. The only other ones, your other boy, Zach Stacy. Zach Stacy, and I, that, that year too, but I, that wasn't like a before the season thing. That was a middle of the year thing. For sure, for yeah. sure. And then we had uh, Jordan Howard and Philip Lindsay as well. So uh, a little bit different circumstances, but what a group of guys. But yeah, yeah okay. So then I also wrote an article right after the kind of first day of the draft looking at the first round quarterbacks because if you're a first round quarterback, there's a really good chance you're going to play. I know we've had the Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers kind of years where they received a little more time off. You know, Mahomes didn't start till week 17. Rodgers uh, took the first two or three years of his career off. But in general, first round quarterbacks have started 9.2 games as a rookie since 2000. And 10 of 16 first round quarterbacks have started at least 10 games over the last five seasons. So you get drafted in the first round, you're probably going to get a chance to play sooner rather than later. Now, there only have been four of 53 first-round quarterbacks since 2000 that finished their rookie year as a top-10 fantasy quarterback. Those players are RG3, Andrew Luck, Cam Newton, and Vince Young. Deshaun Watson and Jay Cutler also qualify if we just look at fantasy points per game. So common theme with those guys, running quarterbacks and guys that aren't afraid to throw the ball downfield. So I looked at our top three quarterbacks, our top three first-round quarterbacks this year, and Far and away, Kyler Murray is looking like a fancy superstar because he already had over a thousand yards rushing in college. Remember, I mean, that includes sacks, so that's even more yeah. spectacular. 12 rushing touchdowns. He's stupid athletic. But just look at the deep passing, too. This is what really separates Murray because among 53 draft eligible quarterbacks, Murray ranked seventh in average target depth. Uh, Daniel Jones was 40th. Dwayne Haskins was 43rd. And it wasn't just how frequently they were throwing deep, but how effectively. Murray was first in deep ball yards per attempt rate. Uh, Haskins was 20th and Jones was 44. So please, again, do not play Daniel Jones under any circumstance in any, any fantasy format. And uh, give me all the Kyler Murray, man. I mean, I haven't uh, sat down and really mapped out my quarterback rankings for this year, but I would not be surprised at all if Murray's a top 10 uh, fantasy quarterback. And I, I might even go as far as predicting it here soon. Yeah, thinking about this a little more holistically, like branching out from fantasy to uh, the prop market on rookie of the year, I think Kyler Murray has a great chance to win rookie of the year. Uh, And those guys you mentioned who have been top 10 fantasy quarterbacks as rookies, Andrew Luck, Cam Newton, Vince Young, and RG3, right? Those are guys who won offensive rookie of the year awards. And Kyler Murray is very much in that vein. Uh, and you can find him uh, in the market out there anywhere from plus 250 to plus 600. And at plus 600, he is just a total steal. I've smashed that as hard as I can. So definitely something uh, to, to look at. But uh, I, I totally agree. Murray is someone I'm going to invest in heavily for uh, fantasy purposes, both for Dynasty uh, and also even just for 2019. Um, Because I think this is the one year you really have a shot at him. After this, I think, I guess I should say, I'm expecting him to do well this year. So after this year, I think people are going to be really on top of him. So I think this is the year to get him at a, a discount in redraft. Let's talk about some of the other rookies 
the other positions for potential breakouts in year one? Yeah, so like we were saying, if you're not a first-round quarterback or you don't have an immediate you know, starting job lined up for you, it's going to be tough to produce as a rookie. Same thing with tight ends. So with that in mind, I had another article where I want to look at the top kind of fancy landing spots for a bunch of these running backs and wide receivers. And I really only focus on the guys in the top three rounds. Again, I understand it's a rule. It's not going to be 100% correct, but for the purposes of right now, we just focus on the top three round guys. So uh, with that in mind, I identified three running backs that I think have a feasible uh, shot to earn a three-down roll this year. Number one, obviously, Josh Jacobs, the only first-round running back. I thought he had the three-down roll locked up, you know, the second he was drafted, but Isaiah Crowell blowing out his Achilles also helps. Uh, I know they re-signed the corpse of Doug Martin the other day, but really not worried about Jacobs uh, getting an opportunity to work on all three downs. General Manager Mike Mayock has already said as much. And, I mean, just the history of first-round running backs in general, six of the last eight first-round RBs finished in the top 20 in touches as a rookie. So we've seen guys – I don't know if uh, – Jacobs will be quite as high as, you know, Zeke or Saquon Barkley finishing in the top five. But, I mean, he could absolutely have a Christian McCaffrey-esque role where, you know, he's getting used as much as a receiver as he is a rusher. Uh, what are your expectations for Jacobs in year one? I'm really bullish on him. And not just the fact that he's a, a first-rounder. And actually, let me back this up a second. I don't think that really he's all that great of a player just because of some of the the numbers. Like the guys who have historically had success as rushers in the NFL, a lot of them had success as uh, just total yardage accumulators in college. And that definitely isn't Jacobs. But he was efficient with the touches that he had in college. And then also, first rounder, he's young. He's 21 years old as a rookie which is really significant. The guys who come in at that age tend to have long-term success and uh, often immediate success. You know, some of those guys, Zeke, Saquon, Todd Gurley, like you can go back and, and look like for the past like 25 years at the guys who have come in like that uh, and they've had success, especially the big guys. And that's another thing. Josh Jacobs, although he didn't test all that well in his athleticism, He's 220 pounds. So, like, he is built to be a lead back. Um, so, I'm expecting him, even if he's not all that talented, I'm expecting him to get a lot of usage. Um, so, I will be probably pretty high on him. I'll have to see sort of just where he starts going in best ball drafts to know if he's someone I really want to target. But I think I will be high on him. Yeah, it seems like a guy at the very least. I bet his uh, ADP will just be rising up until the season starts. Yeah. All right, next running back that – could get a three-down roll is the Bears' David Montgomery. They already have Tariq Cohen. They signed Mike Davis. They signed Cordero Patterson in the offseason. At least the latter two guys uh, are looking like uh, sure bets to see a good amount don't, of work. Don't don't bring that in here. Anyway, keep okay, going. Okay, here we go. Anyway, so the Bears, again, mentioned before, there's only been four running backs out of the top three rounds that finished their rookie year as a top 20 fantasy performer. Jordan Howard was one of those guys. Well, the Bears shipped him off to Philadelphia for what's going to end up being around a fifth or sixth round pick. Decided to trade up, put a ton more draft capital into Montgomery, really more than we've seen them put in a running back uh, in years. So Tariq Cohen, you know, he's going to get his receiving. He's still, I think, their top weapon in the backfield. We've seen some rumors from beat writers about Mike Davis seeing between 100 and 120 touches. I don't know about that. He's only got a one-year deal, really not the end of the world if he just uh, sits on the bench more. I think there's a real opportunity for Montgomery to win this job. I don't know if this could be from week one, though. It seems to me like a situation where perhaps he ends up being a better second-half asset than a first-half. Uh, what's your read on this situation, Matt? 
Yeah, I like that call about him being more of a second half guy. I think the way that he will win the job is because he's all around solid and he doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't do a great job of like accelerating and like breaking away. Like that's not his game. He's more of a kind of Mark Ingram type of guy in that he gets what is blocked and maybe a little bit more but you're not looking on at him to be an explosive guy. But he doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't, like last year, for instance, he had no drops, even though he was used pretty heavily in the passing game, and no blown blocks. Um, so like that is something that I think coaches will look at and be like, you know what, he's fundamentally sound. He won't lose the game for us. And so that sounds like the kind of guy who can work his way into the lead back role, even though I think he'll probably start as, you know, I don't want to say even a backup, but as like the third guy in that committee playing behind Mike Davis as the the early down guy. But because of his versatility, I expect Montgomery uh, at some point will be the lead back. All right, and third running back from the first three rounds that I identify as having a realistic shot at an early three-down role, Miles Sanders, Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, some people thought they were going to take Josh Jacobs when they traded up ahead of Oakland. But nah, Philly's not about that first round RB yeah, no, life. No, the Eagles would never. No chance. No chance. Uh, probably only the Raiders thought that Philly might be doing that. But yeah. anyway, they end up with Miles Sanders. A lot of, uh, I'm not sure what you saw on the map. I know a lot of people think that Sanders is superior than Jacobs. Uh, we'll see how it works out. But Eagles running back depth chart is weak pretty much. The big question with Sanders is will Doug Peterson commit to a single running back? Because no Eagles running back has cleared 50% snaps in a season under Peterson. Only Sproles, who got 45% in 2016, even cleared 40%. Now, I think the stat's a little bit telling, but also, like, we did, we have seen them make efforts to get that three-down guy. They traded for Jay Ajayi. Yeah. He kind of got injured before he could get fully rolling. I feel like they wanted Corey Clement, maybe Josh Adams. Like, they wanted these guys to seize the job over the years, and no one really ever did. So, I don't know if uh, it's a running back hasn't had over 50% because that's – not what Peterson wants, or if he just hasn't had the right running back yet. So yeah, I'm more inclined, the more I kind of read up on Miles Sanders, to think he could break the mold and uh, ball out sooner rather than later. What do you think? Yeah, I, I like him. He was a, a five-star recruit going into Penn State. Didn't, didn't play much for his first couple of years, but that's because he was on the bench behind Saquon Barkley. Like, you can't really fault him for that. When he had opportunities as a true junior, uh, he was clearly the lead back. He was productive as both a, a runner and a pass catcher. And with the Eagles, they've never – I mean, they haven't invested, at least under Doug Peterson, they haven't invested in a running back with this much capital, you know, in a long time. Like, going back to the, the Andy Reid era – so this is a significant investment, and I think the main reason why they haven't uh, they haven't given like the lion's share of touches to one guy is because they haven't had that guy. Like they've relied on committees of guys who are early down backs who are past their prime, like Garrett Blunt and, and Ryan Matthews in the in the first year. Pass catchers who are guys that get injured. Uh, Darren Sproles comes to mind. Wendell Smallwood is another guy like that. And then like these flash in the pan undrafted free agents uh, like, you know, Corey Clement and, and Josh Adams. They've never had one guy who is a, a high caliber guy who's young, who can do it all. Uh, and that's, I think that's what they were thinking when they drafted this guy in the second round. So uh, given all that he can do, and then given the fact that the Eagles actually invested in him, yeah, I'm like, I'm very excited about him. He's probably the one running back as a rookie. Like I know I'm going to want to target. 
Yeah, it's looking like real good things for them. I have real high expectations for this whole Eagles offense in general this year. I think after adding adding Deshaun Jackson, hopefully Carson Wentz, uh, actually getting a full healthy offseason, then uh, we could see big things there. Yeah, and then the addition also of left tackle Andre Dillard, uh, so that if there are any issues along the offensive line, um, he's the best pass-blocking a tackle in the class. So, uh, you know, if there's an injury, I think he could step in and be almost as good as the guy he's replacing. Yeah, that's definitely huge for them. Okay, moving on to wide receivers here real quick. Uh, so only two wide receivers drafted outside of the top three rounds over the last 10 years have managed to post a top 20 PPR season as a rookie. Those were Tyree Kill, who slipped to round five, and Buccaneers Mike Williams, who was yeah. round four. I like how we've had about three relevant Mike Williams in the last two yeah. decades. Now, and, and you know what? Actually, one thing to think about with those two guys, both of them would have been, dra- would have been drafted higher if not for off-the-field issues. So, Absolutely. you know, like it's – you know, they're outside of the top 100, but you kind of have to think of those guys as top 100 caliber type of players. Definitely. And that's – like some of these quarterbacks too, like the guys, they do slip through the cracks, but they're – Big red flag, not red flags, like green flags telling you who these guys could be. You know, Jack Prescott, fourth round quarterback, gets to start the season on an offense that, you know, accentuates his talent. So you can kind of see them when they are there, even if it's a little hidden in the grand scheme of things. But okay, so we might disagree a little bit more on these wide receivers, but I, I identified five guys that, you know, might not be the best five receivers, but I think they have the most realistic shots at securing the number one or number two wide receiver job on their team. The first one, is Hollywood Brown with the Ravens. Unfortunately, I mean, what's the wide receiver one for Baltimore going to be this year? I mean, the fantasy wide receiver 75. It's just, <laughs> it's just so hard to tell with Lamar Jackson. I mean, I was right, writing up on him before this. And, like, Lamar Jackson just set the single-season record for most quarterback rush attempts, and he started seven games. Yeah. He, <laughs> it was something like since 2000, 600-plus quarterbacks have started at least seven games, and Jackson just had the fourth view as pass attempts. So, they are not throwing the ball in Baltimore. Matt, like, I don't even know if Hollywood Brown's like a boomer bust dart throw candidate this year. I think he just never want to touch this passing game. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to be on him. Uh, I think even in – I mean, if there's one format, it's the best ball format because he will be so boomer bust. But even then, I just probably want to stay away. I, I imagine that there would be other guys who will have more boom weeks uh, and, and just higher overall production – relative to Marquise Brown in the the draft range where he will be available. So I'm just, I'm totally staying away. Uh, You saw what happened to John Brown uh, when they made the switch to Lamar Jackson, and he just became a total non-entity within that offense, even though, you know, for the six, seven weeks, nine weeks prior, whatever it was, he was having a a renaissance season. So uh, I'm just entirely staying away. Poor Smokey Brown going from Lamar Jackson to Josh Allen just – Oh, well, he's, he's getting paid he's now, at least. Yeah. yeah, he's getting paid. All right, next wide receiver. And my personal wide receiver one from this class, I think you're right there with me, Matt, Nikhil Harry. I mean, can't say enough good things about this situation. Pats are missing 223 targets from last year between Gronk, Chris Hogan, uh, C. Pat, and Josh Gordon, assuming Gordon doesn't return, which might not be the best assumption. There are some murmurs that he could return at some point this year. Either way, I mean, I think there's enough lost targets for Gronk uh, for Harry to slide in as more of a seam threat. And, I mean, we've seen him after the catch make a bunch of plays too. So, I mean, the Patriots don't have a great history of year one production from rookie receivers, but we also haven't seen him, you know, draft one in the first round. And I don't think we've seen him have a weapon like Harry. Uh, Matt, I mean, is it 
unreasonable to expect kind of like wide receiver two production from Harry as a rookie? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I mean, I think it's – I'm not going to be drafting him as if he will definitely give wide receiver two production because that is a really high threshold for any rookie wide That's receiver. Right. But I think he's going to – I think he's going to be on the field. You know, like I think he's going to be out there learning the system. Like it's hard for rookie wide receivers in general. And then the Patriots have, I'm not going to hold against them, their previous inability to draft uh, wide receivers who turn out. But like they do have a complicated offensive system. And I think like that will take him some time. So even if he's out there, you know, even if they are depending on him as someone who is core to their offense, that doesn't mean that they're going to funnel a lot of targets his way. But I, I think... I don't know. Like, I think you could, I don't want to say even like a hundred targets, but like, I think he will be used and I'm, I'm high on him long-term, but I will probably be staying away from him in the short term. That's fair enough. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you with it. It does take them a while to incorporate guys into the offense, but we did see last year, Josh Gordon. I mean, he pretty much got taken off the, you know, off the streets now from Cleveland. He was averaging about seven targets per game uh, before he went down. So if they can't, uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see because, you know, there's always a risk that Julian Edelman and James White just combine for 20 yeah. targets. And then get I mean, league, but. Well, think about it. So, like, I think seven targets per game going to Josh Gordon is different than seven targets per game going to Harry because Gordon is just – he's a different type of receiver. Yeah. I think he's more explosive. I think Harry's targets will come closer to the line of scrimmage. So, I just kind of don't even – I don't see the same production for him. That's a good point. All right, next wide receiver in San Francisco, Debo Samuel. Um, interesting situation here because it's one of very few teams where the wide receiver one is still going to be the number two pass game target. Obviously, George Kittle is ingrained there. And this whole situation is just so crowded at this point. Uh, I counted up their roster. I'm sure some of these guys, maybe like you know Kendrick Bourne, Trent Taylor, will get cut before the season. But as it stands, they have 11 players on offense, at running back, wide receiver, tight end, that have caught at least 20 passes in the season before. And they just added Debo Samuel and Jalen Hurd, so who are both very confident pass catchers in their own right. Matt, do you see anyone jumping out on this off- offense? I mean, behind George Kittle, or is, is there going to be enough targets? It's it's really hard to know what to do uh, because there are so many receivers there. Um, Dante Pettis is interesting. And, I mean, conceivably, he's right now the number one receiver on that offense. But um, I think he can be overtaken by Debo. Um, who has a similar skill set, but is more of a legit wide receiver. Like Pettis in college was more of a like a punt returner, kick returner, who I wouldn't say he moonlighted as a receiver, but like that wasn't his strength. Samuel is an actual receiver who has ability as a return man and as a rusher. And I think he has probably better like all around athleticism just in terms of like his size speed combination because Pettis is a, a smaller guy. You know, the one question with, I guess there are probably a couple of questions with Samuel would be just like, how, how soon can he get acclimated to the NFL? But then a bigger question would also be like his injury past. Um, he's a guy who has never finished uh, in five years of college, never finished uh, a season playing every game in that season. So there are some questions about his ability to, to stand up to the NFL grind. So I, I think that will be something we just we have to see for a season. Like, can he do that? But um, I don't know. Because the offense will be so funneled through Kittle. And then also, I think, like, they have some good running backs. Like, I expect them to use their running backs a decent amount. I don't know if I'm going to be investing in any of the wide receivers. 
Yeah, one thing that does make me wonder about, I mean, I was looking at on the sheet, we got a running back slash wide receiver slash tight end. I think it's realistic Jalen Hurd could be the first fantasy football player ever to get the triple designation because he played running back in college, he played wide receiver in college, and now Shanahan's talking about lining up a tight end. So, yeah. Even if that happens, I don't know if he'll see more than five touches a game, but something to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, that would that would uh, be kind of cool. Okay, next receiver that we'll see. We had, we had some new stuff come out today in the uh, Tyreek Hill case, uh, but McCole Hartman is looking like a potential week one starter now for Kansas City, uh, drafted as the heir apparent to Tyreek, assuming he could be cut before week one. Uh, big question here that I've been really trying to figure out for this last uh, week or so. We got Demarcus Robinson seemingly as a wide receiver three. Travis Kelsey is should be the favorite to lead the Chiefs in targets. I mean, is Mikul Harmon going to walk into a wide receiver one role? Because I think it's Sammy Watkins. But what do you think here, Matt? Yeah, I think Sammy Watkins would have more targets than Hardman. It's it, Hardman is a he's a really interesting guy. So on the one hand, I think I'm seeing more of the positive reasons for why people should be bullish on him relative to a lot of the other people who are talking about him. But at the same time, like, I feel like I'm also seeing a lot of the negative things that other people aren't talking about. Like people are basically just focusing on the number of targets available and the fact that he has a skill set that is similar to Tyreek Hills. And then the fact that it's a great offense, all of that is obvious. The thing that isn't so obvious is that like he's 21 years old, uh, which is amazing. Like that's fantastic for a receiver to be that young that historically has boded very well for a guy long-term. And also he's played wide receiver for only two years. So even though he wasn't all that productive, he has been reasonably productive for a guy who's played that position for just two years. And he actually entered college as the number two overall athlete, just in terms of like the way that he was ranked. So there are like legitimate reasons to be very excited about him at the same time. He wasn't that productive in college, you know, and he's still learning the wide receiver position. Like Tyreek Hill, even though he transitioned from running back to wide receiver, he was still one of the best pass catching running backs of like all time in college. So like it it wasn't as much of a projection to see him going to wide receiver. So I don't know. I like, I don't want to, if there's, let me put it this way. If there's one coach I would trust to turn a project into a producer, it would be Andy Reid, especially with Patrick Mahomes. But we are talking about a guy who's played wide receiver for only two years. And before that was a defensive back and a running quarterback. Like it's just, it's hard to assume that that guy is going to be Tyreek Hill right away. So I will bet against him for year one. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm betting against him year one. But if there was a situation that could let him do it, it would be with Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City. So I'm just assuming there's always going to be someone who is much more optimistic on him than I am in any given league I'm in. So he probably won't end up on many of my teams. That makes sense. I was going to say another wide receiver that's in an ideal situation, I think, at least in terms of his skill set, is DK Metcalf. Now, it's hard to say any wide receiver is in an ideal situation in the league's most run-heavy offense, so I get that. But, I mean, Metcalf, all the concerns coming out were the guy can't move well horizontally, laterally, 
And now he's in an offense that's probably just going to ask him to run vertically almost every single route. I mean, we've never seen a quarterback like Russell Wilson just continuously move around and be willing to chuck that ball deep. I've been doing it since his days at Wisconsin, even just getting bailed out by receivers one after another. But <laughs> Russ loves to do it. I mean, come on, dude. Some of those Big Ten championship throws. But anyway, now DK Metcalf's only competition for reps on the outside is David Moore and Gary Jennings because reportedly – Doug Baldwin is on his way towards retirement. So if we're working on the assumption that Baldwin's going to retire, you think Tyler Lockett, who already played about 50 or 60% of his snaps in the slot uh, last season, you assume he'll stick the slot. And then all we have is David Moore, who was a very low round draft pick last year. Gary Jennings was a lower round draft pick this year. I think DK probably opens up the year on uh, starting in two wide receiver sets, but I don't know if it's going to be more of a 50% snap split or an 80% snap split. Either way, I don't know if it's going to be more than four to five targets per game. But I do like DK Metcalf's boom or bust appeal more than someone like Hollywood Brown. Uh, you yeah. Think? Yeah. Metcalf, I think for best ball leagues is definitely an option because I think you're right. He's going to be the vertical threat. I don't want to say that's the only way that they're going to use him, but like they are going to play to his strengths. And uh, Wilson is a good deep ball passer. Like, I think that connection could be good. But as you mentioned, I don't think they're going to throw to him all that often. The one thing I would push back on a little bit with Metcalf is that even if he starts the season in, in two wide sets, and I think that is probable, I don't know if we're going to see Lockett play as much in the slot as we might anticipate. And Lockett, like on his own, is a good deep ball receiver. Like, he was he was the most efficient receiver on a per target basis uh, this last year. Like Gary Jennings is a slot only receiver. Like he played like, I think upwards of 80%, maybe even like 85% of his snaps in the slot. Like that is where he functions and the Seahawks have to know that. Like, you know, like I think he actually is the replacement to Doug Baldwin in the slot instead of Tyler Lockett. Um, not to say Lockett won't see some snaps in the slot, but I think Jennings is much more of the slot guy. So if we're thinking of Tyler Lockett now as someone who can play on the outside, like deep shots might go to him instead of uh, instead of DK Metcalf. But um, I guess transitioning and, and talking a little bit more about some of these rookies who are in new places and uh, about to have some new experiences let's talk about Airbnb's experiences. You know about Airbnb, if you are going out of town or looking for a place to stay, Airbnb is the go-to site to use. Um, But whether you're on vacation or staying at home uh, and looking for something new to do, you should check out Airbnb experiences, which provide access to experiences that can't easily be found elsewhere. They are designed for active participation, so you can do something new. They are curated for quality. Uh, They aren't your typical tours and activities. Airbnb experiences are hosted by locals uh, who have deep expertise in their field. And with these experiences, you can learn things that you can't find online or in a textbook. Airbnb experiences are vetted for quality and safety, and uh, you can find these in over a thousand cities around the world. Uh, You don't need to be traveling to try Airbnb experiences. You can do them in your own hometown. So for instance, I moved to a new city a few years ago, and and in some ways I still feel as if I'm new to the area. Uh, I want to try to do more outdoor things, but I'm not sure really like what there is to do or where I should do it. Like for instance, I don't know where I should go hiking. So just earlier today, 
I went to Airbnb experiences. I looked at the options in my city. I found an Airbnb hiking experience and I booked it. Uh, it was really easy to book. And the host uh, who is curating the experience is a naturalist with a degree in fish and wildlife biology. So uh, it's going to be legit and something I'm pretty excited about. Uh, and in future episodes, I'm sure that I will regale you with tales of my outdoor adventures. For your own adventures, check out airbnb.com slash experiences to explore one-of-a-kind activities created for the curious. Okay, Ian, let's talk about some of these rookies who are in new places and are going to have new experiences. Uh, I did my rankings uh, for the rookies. Top 50 on the site uh, have analysis for all of the guys uh, and then also touched on 10 undrafted rookies uh, who are in some interesting landing places, guys who might have some upside, and then five late round quarterbacks to monitor. Ian, when you looked at the rankings, who were the guys who kind of stood out that you thought I just had horrible rankings on or, you know, guys you just want to talk about? Yeah, everyone make sure you check out uh, Matt's t- guide to his top 50 because he did pour his heart, heart and soul into it. And even if I do venomously disagree with a couple of these, uh, I do respect his work on it. I should, say, I should say, I think it's good to have the, the conversations though, because it, I mean, if anything, it will make me maybe reevaluate. I can make some updates. You know, I, I think it's, it's good to have the conversations about the rankings because it, it does help you think through things. Absolutely. Just like anything. So with that said, how the heck is AJ <laughs> Brown pick number six? We're talking about a Titans offense. that was 31st in pass attempts last year. I mean, I just jumped off the Corey Davis truth or, train as fast as possible pretty much in the last couple of weeks because last season in the best possible scenario for Corey Davis Delaney Walker goes down like week one or two plays 16 games Corey Davis finished with 112 targets now we're adding a back Walker we drafted AJ Brown oh yeah and we paid slot receiver phenom Adam Humphreys about 36 million to come just take all of Mariota's uh, little dink and dunk targets so it's a low volume situation I understand you might love AJ Brown, but in what world are we even approaching like fantasy relevance here in the next two or three years? Cause I don't see it. Yeah. Uh, I have a long-term perspective when it, when it comes to dynasty. And so I try to look less at the situation because I think people really overvalue a lot of the situation and situation can change so quickly. Uh, Mariota might not even be the quarterback in 2020 of that team. There could be a new offensive coordinator, like there's lots that could change. Corey Davis, you know, like might not, I don't want to say he even might not be on the team in a couple of years, but you know, like there are opportunities that AJ Brown could have that people aren't necessarily taking into account. Like things can change in that situation, but looking at this from a team agnostic perspective, which I think is really one of the best ways to, to try to look at dynasty players. He was the number four wide receiver drafted. I tend to uh, value wide receivers above some of the other positions because I think their career arc is more projectable and they have longer lasting careers relative to running backs and tight ends. So I think it's, it's a position in general where you want to invest. And then on his own, Brown has a good size speed profile and he was super productive in college at the SEC level. Like that is the type of guy that I'm going to want to be invested in long-term. And if people are, I think, devaluing him because of his situation, like that's, that's all the better for me. Cause that means I can get a guy that I really want much cheaper than, than the market price. So I'm still optimistic 
maybe even if not realistic, optimistic about what he can do in the NFL. But I think his situation, even if it's not good, and I would say it's below average, it's clearly below average, it could improve. And we have seen guys, even in subpar situations, still have pretty good production. So I'm, I'm still on A.J. Brown. Let me ask you this. Was there any prospect that you thought their landing spot was a worse negative than what Brown got? Marquise Brown. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly, okay. clearly Marquise Brown. Because, I mean, he's the number one wide receiver drafted, uh, a first rounder. By a lot of the logic that I use, he should be one of the guys to be drafted in the first five, and he's not. Yeah. Yeah. If if you're looking longer than the next three or four years, which, you know, you have to, so that's fair, then I do see how Brown could be ranked higher. So, I mean, here's, here's a question Do you think he will have more production than Corey Davis over the next three years? He might. Honestly, I think the best thing for both of them would be uh, changing the situation under center, which, you know, when you're talking about the potential for Corey Davis to be gone in the next couple of years, that, that would help. But I think the thing that would help both of them the most would be getting a change under center, which is a possibility under the next few years. So it's not out of the realm of possibility in the next two or three years. Uh, I think Brown could outproduce Davis. The problem is, though, and I won't pretend to be uh, – I, I haven't had A.J. Brown super scouted, but – wasn't he better off in the slot at Ole Miss? Yeah, I mean, so that's that's. I think I wouldn't say that's a common misconception, but like he he played in the slot. But remember, DK Metcalf was out for a a chunk of the last three years. Brown wasn't just a slot guy. That might be the place where he could be most successful in the NFL. But he played outside too, and he had success there. So I think he can. I think he can do it all. Like I think he can play inside or outside. I think he can run a variety of routes. Um, he's big and he's fast for his size, like under 4.5, you know, seconds for the 40 times. So like pretty impressive all around, even if like, I'm, I'm saying that I think in the long term you have to have that perspective. I think he could even be more productive in the short term than people anticipate. Like, remember like Deandre Hopkins had just a totally horrible situation for years with the Texans and was still productive. You know, I think like the cream tends to rise and A.J. Brown is, I think, like the top of this class. Yeah, and we should also kind of prepare ourselves for a better version of the Titans offense, I think, this year. Mariota has never had a group of weapons this good, and their offensive line kind of took a step back last year than I think what people were expecting. So could be a sneaky uh, situation to monitor there a little bit. But all right, sticking on the wide receivers here, you have – all right, we'll talk about these four guys. You have yeah. Paris Campbell as your ninth pick, Debo Samuel at 13th, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside at 14th, and Mecole Hartman at 15th. Personally, I don't see how a guy that looks like he's being set up to be one of Patrick Mahomes' top two receivers for the next half decade or so is behind these guys. But I wouldn't call uh, Mecole Harbin necessarily a better receiver prospect than any of those guys. So uh, I, I know this, again, kind of goes in the landing spot. But I think this, this is a little bit unique because we're looking at guys with Mahomes, Wentz, Garoppolo. We can kind of safely assume these guys are going to be catching balls from uh, the same quarterback for the next five to ten years. Uh, what, what are your thoughts going into these rankings? Yeah, so I will admit that uh, I am probably lower on Hardman than a lot of the people in the industry. And that's fine. Like if people want to take him in round one, I will, I'll, I'll let that happen. I mean, we are talking about a guy who has a great situation and uh, has a lot of other factors that go into it. Again, the second round draft price, 21 years old. Those two things combined are pretty impressive. 
I could be very wrong about this, but Arcega Whiteside has a good athletic profile. I think he's in a good situation. And he was productive for three straight years at Stanford. He was the number one receiver there for three straight years. Debo Samuel was the top receiver on his team for multiple years, um, has multiple ways of producing. Paris Campbell, he didn't produce right away. Uh, He didn't produce until his final year at Ohio State. But he has a fantastic, like, elite, like, uber elite physical profile in terms of his size and his speed and his explosiveness. He was a top 25 recruit when he entered Ohio State, and he was very productive this past year, and he can get his production in a variety of ways. So I'm looking at three guys, and I think like all three of them, they have good quarterbacks. You know, like Wentz, Garoppolo, Andrew Luck, they have good quarterbacks. All of them are capable. All of them have good physical profiles. All of them were productive in college, much more productive than McCole Hardman was. Like, I would basically have to be prioritizing above those guys the potential and the landing spot that Hardman has over what those guys have already shown that they can do. And I just, I haven't found success in doing that in my own dynasty endeavors in the past. So I just, I can't put him above guys who have actually done it already. Yeah, I'm probably weighing uh, the year one impact a little bit uh, heavier than you as well. The the Paris Campbell situation is real interesting because I think on the surface, uh, you know, he's probably not going to crack the two wide receiver sets to start with a TY there and they're paying Devin Funches $13 million for this first year. But looking into next year and beyond, I mean, Paris Campbell, really the sky's the limit. I mean, there was some uh, yeah. audio that came out today from the Colts organization just uh, – kind of the scouts and head coach and everything, just everyone talking about how they do believe Campbell can add that downfield threat to his game. Cause that's kind of the thing with uh, some of these Ohio state receivers. I mean, Paris Campbell played that same uh, Percy Harvin, Curtis Samuel H uh, back role where most of the time they're getting screens and crossers doesn't necessarily mean they can't go downfield just that they weren't asked to. So I am with you uh, Paris being in the top 10, but, I don't know, because I see our, our Sega white side and the, the Eagles, they just seem already set a receiver with Alshon, with uh, uh, D-Jack. You know, Zach Ertz could be plenty involved. So uh, it seems like almost an embarrassment of riches for them at wide receiver at this point, but I don't know if the volume yeah. will be there. It's, uh, so, yeah. it's not so much of, of a year one thing with uh, our Sega white side or uh, Jaws, as I'm just going to call him. Um, <laughs> like it's, it's a situation where, and I should say, I'm not the one who's like come up with that nickname for him, but um, <laughs> it's a situation where, I mean, the guys ahead of him are old. You know, like Alshon Jeffrey, is, he's aging, he's breaking down. Deshaun Jackson uh, turns 33. Nelson Aguilar is probably going to be traded. Like, I think in year two, he's he's the guy and like i'm not going to focus so much on year one okay yeah i think year two is definitely a better indicator for him all right another running back who i don't really disagree with your ranking here let me see exactly where you had him justice hill you have his pick number 21 he's now on the ravens but i just want to talk about this ravens backfield because we mentioned before how run heavy this offense became with Lamar Jackson under center. They signed Mark Ingram to a pretty nice three-year deal that, I mean, to me, it was one of the best landing spots possible. I mean, they 
they were giving Gus Edwards 15 to 20 carries per game. And I mean, Gus Edwards is pretty much a homeless man's version of Mark Ingram in terms of uh, having a real high success rate. Mark Ingram gives you that, but he also gives you pass catching ability and he can bust the occasional big play. And looking at the backfield before they drafted Justice Hill, it seemed like Ingram was their best uh, receiver of the group. I mean, kind of Dixon can do a little bit, but I was pretty confident Ingram could get that three down roll. Now, I don't know. I mean, Justice Hill, he's a fourth-round pick, uh, so I didn't look at him as closely as some of the top three-down guys. But he adds a lot of juice, and I think he's got some uh, – he might now be the most dynamic receiver in that backfield. Uh, how are you sorting through this situation? Yeah, I mean, I like him. Um, I think he definitely will uh, – I think he's the number two guy, which in an offense that is that run heavy has a lot of value. Um, so I think he is actually going to get a lot of run. I could see him eventually becoming the number one guy there because I don't think Ingram is more than like a one or a two-year guy there. And I'm pretty impressed with Hill uh, because of his athletic profile, but then also just how productive he was in college. Like he was the guy at Oklahoma State right away, basically stole Chris Carson's job from him uh, as a rookie, which considering that Chris Carson is now an NFL starter, like that speaks to the potential that Justice Hill has. But it is a backfield where uh, they have just historically rolled over at the position. Um, I don't think any one guy is going to be the guy there. They will always be using a committee. So um, although I am, I'm very interested in Hill and impressed by him, I'm just going to be a, a little bit tempered in my expectations, especially in the first year. Yeah, I'm with you there. It probably it does have the looks of a committee moving forward, unfortunately. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be getting off my Mark Ingram stance, I think, a little bit more as the season gets closer. Yeah. Well, uh, let's, let's talk about a few veterans, some guys who were winners and some guys who were losers based on what their teams did in the draft. Who are you looking at as potential winners? Yeah, so some teams that did not draft a running back early or at all. Lamar Miller is once again entering the season looking like a locked-in featured running back. Uh, he's yeah. pretty much finishing every all these seasons as like a lower-rung uh, mid-20s or lower-20s uh, PPR back. But once again, I mean, his current ADP is sitting in the early 30s. So he's looking like another value. I remember last uh, season I wrote an article calling him fantasy's cheapest uh, featured back. It's looking like that way again. Deontay Foreman is returning. It looks like he's set up to be the RB2, but if you're betting on Foreman, you're pretty much betting on him to become the first running back to really successfully overcome uh, torn Achilles. Matt, you penciling in Lamar again for another just kind of middling year? Yeah, I mean, he is, I think, uh, non-Hall of Fame Frank Gore. I think that's like basically going to be the thing where he just like keeps on uh, extending his career much longer than anyone think he can year after year and having these middling seasons and somehow uh, a coaching staff thinking like, yeah, we are totally acceptable uh, in having that as our running back one. So uh, yeah, I'm, I think that he's going to return again and he's going to be like the, uh, yeah, I think you have it sort of like a low end running back uh, that who's starting getting regular touches uh, and because of the offense he's in, uh, he will have more touchdown opportunities than most running backs. Uh, so that will kind of give him a higher floor. Yeah, I think you're right. He's a winner. I mean, Not, yeah. relatively speaking. <laughs> <laughs> He's a value for sure. Yeah. Non-Hall of Fame Frank Gore. I like that a lot. Okay, next guy, Damian Williams. We've talked about him here before. I just want to make sure uh, we're still kind of on the same page. So Chiefs signed Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde is on his fourth team since 2017. Carlos Hyde is not a factor for this RB1 job. Chiefs stated, just by the way, general manager Brett Veach uh, in late February that the starting running back job is Damian Williams to lose 
Since then, they did draft Darwin Thompson in the sixth round. I understand some people were pretty high on Thompson going into the draft, but this is a six-round running back. Most indications are still pointing towards Damian Williams. Again, he was a PPR RB5 in weeks 13 through 17 after Kareem Hunt was kicked off the team. Scored four touchdowns, I believe, in the two playoff games. Completely balled out. Still penciling in Damian Williams as a sure thing. Three down back in KC. Uh, I mean, I don't want to say sure thing, but I think he's still, I mean, he's a winner in that they didn't draft a guy in the top three rounds or the top four rounds, you know, so clearly going to be the lead back. I would be a little bit cautious in that Darwin Thompson was impressive in college, even though he didn't play at a high level. Um, He was impressive. And then they also added as an undrafted free agent, James Williams out of Washington State who like literally was the best receiving back in college football over the past two years. And that is something that they value. They value a guy who can catch the ball. And so uh, even if Williams has no impact whatsoever on the running game, I could see him being someone who actually starts to siphon away uh, some targets that otherwise would have gone to Damian Williams. And like, I just just say like James Williams, like he's now like the third Williams in that backfield after <laughs> Damian Williams and Daryl Williams. So uh, it will get confusing rather quickly. All the Williamses. All right. Another running back that I think is similar to Damian Williams in that this guy will almost assuredly be the lead back for most of the season, but could maybe be a little bit more game flow uh, dependent than people think. Marlon Mack in Indianapolis. They did not draft the running back. Last year, they drafted two, Naeem Hines, who we saw really emerge as a productive scat back at times, and then Jordan Wilkins, who uh, in a limited number of carries was actually the league's uh, leader in yards per rush, so he uh, flashed a little bit of a big play ability. With that said, Marlon Mack really has been the guy there whenever he's been healthy enough to suit up, but hasn't been super healthy over his last two years, and Frank Reich has never given a running back over 200 carries in his last five years as an offensive coordinator or head coach. Matt, do you think that streak gets broken, or do you think we see Mac still kind of be sneaky game flow dependent? I still like Mac a lot, and uh, I think you're right. He's he's a winner in that they didn't draft someone. They did sign after the draft. Uh, Spencer Ware added him to the backfield, but I I mean, I don't know. He, I don't see him being someone who's really going to steal much from Marlon Mack. So, yeah, I think it will be a backfield committee, but I think Mac will lead the committee. Yeah, I'm with you there. All right, last running back situation. Ooh, this one is ugly. Tampa Bay Buccaneers are – they're forced to start a running back. We're trying to figure out who that running back is going to be. We saw Peyton Barber kind of slug his way through 16 games last year without much success. Ronald Jones at this moment is shaping up to be pretty much the most disappointing running back picked in the top 50 NFL history. And Bruce Arians has even brought back blast from the past Andre Ellington to join the potential circus in that backfield. So they did not draft a running back. Um, I've heard Evan Sova make a really good point that let's get Matt Breda to Tampa Bay, which I think everyone would appreciate in the fantasy community. But, I mean, are we giving Ronald Jones a chance here, or are you just kind of wanting to stay away from this backfield for now? Uh, I think this backfield was so radioactive last year that there will be uh, fantasy value here because someone is going to end up leading the backfield. It's hard to, to know. Actually, let me rephrase that. I don't think it's going to be Barber. Like, I don't, I don't think Barber, even if he ends up being the leader, I don't think he's going to have a huge campaign. I think if Ronald Jones ends up becoming the backfield leader, he could have a pretty decent season, actually. Like, it's within the range of outcomes where if he gets serious, 
and you know learns how to be a professional. He was still impressive in college. He didn't catch a lot of passes, but I think that's something he could add to his skill set um, just based on how explosive he was in college. And he was you know 21 years old as a rookie. Um, there's still a lot of potential opportunity with him. So if I had to go with one player, uh, I think I would go with Jones for upside, but I might just draft both guys because I, I think both of them are undervalued. Yeah, that'll definitely be one of the top uh, preseason situations to monitor. All right, now some of the losers uh, can't do any loser segment without talking about Todd Gurley, and that's really been the case for the last six months. I mean, yeah. just looking at his timeline, C.J. Anderson, I mean, he, he took Gurley's job. That's what happened. We kept expecting kind of this big injury to come out for Gurley, and there wasn't a big one, but we do hear in the offseason that, okay, Gurley is dealing with arthritis in his knee. Now, you know, this is a common thing. I guess people, after they have an ACL tear, everyone's kind of dealing with that. But apparently serious enough that Gurley was investigating, you know, potential stem cell treatment. Like, there's an issue there. We're not sure if it's going to be as big of an issue as it was during the playoffs moving forward, but obviously an issue there. And the Rams pretty much told everyone that, yes, there is an issue there by not only drafting Daryl Henderson in the third round, but also matching Malcolm Brown's offer sheet, who, if you didn't know Malcolm, was supposed to be Gurley's handcuff last year before he broke his clavicle. So, I mean, Sean McVay has come out and told the media for what it's worth that Gurley's still the focal point of their offense. But at the very least, I don't know how we can't assume that the focal point of the offense is going to be closer to 250 touches than this three to 400 touch workload that we've kind of grown accustomed. Uh, what are your thoughts on Gurley this year? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, one of the things with the decision to draft Daryl Henderson out of Memphis, I think what they've said is that he was the top player on their board uh, and that's why they drafted him and it doesn't have anything to do with Gurley. And it's fine for them to say that, but that might not be the case. And now that he's in the building, like they're going to look at him and if he's impressive, he will probably take some touches away from Gurley uh, if for no other reason than the fact that like he deserves it and they probably want to try to keep Gurley fresh. And Henderson was the most explosive running back in college football last year. He was first with 8.9 yards per carry, first with 6.0 yards after contact per attempt, first with 2.8 yards per route, and first with a 70.8 breakaway rate. So like this guy was very explosive. And granted, you can say he was doing it against lesser competition, but it's not like he had a great offensive line blocking for him either. Like this guy is, uh, he's impressive. So um, I can see him potentially taking touches away from Todd Gurley. So uh, yeah, I think Gurley is a loser. Yeah, and I mean, I, I'm I'm sure any we, we've this has been proven actually. Any running back in a Sean McVay offense, you can call it a good fit. But I did see uh, the Ringers' Danny Kelly made a really good point that this outside zone scheme for Daryl Henderson like could not be a better fit as well. Yeah. So if he's yeah. really gonna like thrive somewhere, it, it might be LA. So we'll keep an eye on that. All right, uh, we we already kind of talked about some of these losing wide receivers from the draft: Dante Pettis, Corey Davis, guys that just got. Uh, much more crowded depth charts and their offense isn't looking all that different. Now, a real interesting guy is Christian Kirk because going into the draft, I was really high on Kirk because the big problem with him coming out of college was people didn't know if he could be more than just a slot receiver. Already had Larry Fitzgerald in the slot. Kirk proved he could be. He played a bunch on the outside, and by the end of the year, he was lining up in two wide receiver sets, you know, fully starting, getting plenty of targets and balling out, honestly. Now we added Andy Isabella and Hakeem Butler. 
But we also added Cliff Kingsbury in an offense that could end up ranking atop the league in pass attempts and potentially tempo. It seems like it's a situation that can uh, have multiple fantasy-relevant receivers, but I'm not quite sure who those guys are going to be yet. What do you make of this Arizona offense right now? Yeah, so I think Kirk is a loser in that they added other guys who are clearly going to get targets. I'm very bullish on this offense, so I am expecting them to use uh, four wide receiver sets more than most teams. So there you know, is still opportunity for Kirk and these other guys to be out there all together. And I do think they're going to throw a lot, which obviously is good for all of the receiving options. Um, but I expect Isabella to be a guy who really stands out. Like, I think he will be, uh, I don't know. Like, I think they're going to spread the, the targets around. So I don't think it's fair to say that, like, Isabella is clearly going to be the guy who dominates over any of the other pass-catching options. But um, I think a lot of the things we would have wanted to see out of Kirk, we are going to see out of Isabella instead. Because he just, I think he has a more all-around skill set. Um, he's faster. He's not as big as Kirk, but I don't think that really matters. I mean, he was drafted in the second round, you know, not quite as high as Kirk was drafted uh, in the second round, but like pretty close to it. So uh, I'm, I'm on board with Isabella. And then I think there will be enough targets that go to Hakeem Butler. And then also maybe even a guy drafted in the sixth round, Keyshawn Johnson, um, enough targets going to those guys to where Kirk won't be the target dominator that we otherwise would have hoped he would be. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how these target shares shake out. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury did feed his uh, running backs at Texas Tech at a top 10 rate as well. So please, please just yeah. get David Johnson. David, David Johnson. Receiver, yeah. So. yeah, he's, he's, going to, uh, he's going to get his targets. All right, let's, let's close out quickly with just uh, an overview of the dynasty rankings, uh, overall dynasty rankings, top 200 veterans and rookies uh, integrated into it. And um, I think I'll touch on just a few players that I probably am higher on or lower on uh, relative to other people in the industry. Uh, And I'll start with Kyler Murray. I have been aggressive uh, in ranking, you know, ranking him. I'm going to be aggressive in drafting him because I think he has league winning talent. And I think it's, um, it's, it's popular and it's easy to, um, to devalue the guys who play at quarterback because there are so many quarterbacking options in the league. But I think when there are guys who have true league winning ability, you probably want to prioritize them because uh, at quarterback, you know, like last year, if you had Patrick Mahomes, it was hard not to win your league. You know what I mean? And I think Kyler Murray is a guy like that because he has the rushing ability and I think he has uh, significant passing ability as well. I think he's basically like Michael Vick with a better arm. And I think if you have the chance to get a guy like that, you do it. So I'm, I'm being aggressive in ranking him. So that will be someone to, to keep an eye on. And then Josh Jacobs. I don't, again, I mentioned him. I'm really unsure about his overall talent, but based on his draft position, his age, uh, his physical profile, and how I think he's going to be used, I think he's already a top 10 back in Dynasty, which might feel aggressive, but um, I don't know. I think that's, that's just where I am. And, and if you, you look at the options that are out there in the running back market, like it gets thin pretty quickly. So like, I don't think it's all that much of a push to say that Josh Jacobs deserves to be ranked in the top 10, even if it's just number 10. A uh, player that I am down on, and this probably shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, is Antonio Brown. <laughs> but uh, 
you know, a part of it is because I, I do think that they are going to uh, focus on getting Josh Jacobs the ball. Uh, I'm not sure how good they are at going to be passing in general. And Antonio Brown is old. So, you know, I don't think it's all that hard to rank him. I mean, to be pretty low on him, but I think I, I will probably be lower than a lot of other people in the industry, but that's just kind of how it is. Uh, and then uh, another guy I am lower on relative to other people, but I still wouldn't think I'm low on him uh, is Travis Kelsey. Uh, we talked about George Kittle earlier. I think Kittle is already the number one uh, tight end in Dynasty. And there are still people who have Kelsey ranked number one, and I get it. And I still have him as a top 25 overall player. But he turns 30 this year. He plays a physically demanding position. I think he has more production in him this year than Kittle does. But I think long-term, Kittle is clearly the preferable player at this point. And for me, like if you can already anticipate that long-term, Kittle is the guy, you might as well put him there already because he obviously did more than enough last year to indicate that he does have a bright future. So those are uh, some of the players that I am high on and low on. And uh, Ian, do you have any thoughts on any of those guys? No, I think it's a good point with uh, Kelsey and just these kind of aging veterans in general. You want to, I mean, especially in a dynasty format, you want to be probably a a year early than a year too late, especially if you're trying to get value for him. One guy I would add that's starting to get up there in age too is uh, AJ Green. Uh, I don't I don't expect him to, you know, fall off a cliff this year uh, or anything, but he has now had two, in, two back-to-back injuries shortened years. And, I mean, it comes fast with some of these uh, bigger wide receivers and bigger guys that uh, haven't necessarily, you know, made a complete career out of uh, separating with route running and stuff. I mean, yeah, I think AJ, AJ is, like, on a different level, I think, as a route runner and stuff than someone like Des Bryant, but it comes fast. And, you know, you want, you want to be on the right side of that. So if, you know, if AJ Green has a good year this year, I consider selling before. Today. Yeah. And, and to your point on that, and, and this kind of, will we'll put all of this in context. Uh, I have right below, literally right below in my rankings, Antonio Brown, I have AJ Green nice. and, and right above Antonio Brown, I have in Harry, who is my number one uh, wide receiver in this class. So that kind of, gives you a sense of, of how, how I'm viewing these guys. And, and to talk just a little bit about uh, the methodology, like I, I tend to value age. Uh, I tend to like prioritize guys who are young, uh, not only because they have a longer shelf life, um, but they, they tend to have more upside. I tend to devalue positions that have a lot of depth. So quarterbacks are usually low in my rankings, uh, except for the guys that I think have true like difference making upside, I tend to value the positions that have longevity. So uh, wide receivers, for instance, uh, I tend to rank ahead of running backs and tight ends, like all things being equal, just because wide receivers last longer. So those are you know some of the the big factors that kind of go into um, my my positional rankings uh, within Dynasty. Ian, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree with you with the quarterbacks. I mean, they got to be a difference maker. And I think the big trend we're seeing now in recent years is the difference making quarterbacks, all those are those players that are getting a bunch of rush attempts. I mean, I was looking at uh, uh, some rushing stats, and there's been 20 quarterbacks since 2000 that have had a, at least 100 rush attempts in a season. 13 of those 20 quarterbacks end up being at least a top six uh, fantasy performer. So, yeah. A lot of that's just, you know, Cam Newton, Mike Vick, and the same old guys kind of getting the numbers. But, look, Kyler Murray, I mean, we know he can run the ball, and we know he can throw the ball. It's not 
like he has the rushing ability or at least pretty close to what Lamar Jackson had and just a million times more, I think, better through the air at this point. So it's, it's – and we saw Lamar Jackson work as the QB8 as soon as he got the starting job last year. So if you can just have that rushing floor and even a little bit of passing upside, which I think Murray clearly has both, I mean, yeah, that's a game changer. Yeah. Uh, okay. Ian, what are the pieces that you have planned for the future? Ooh, we're getting right into the NFL uh, preview mode now. I'm uh, coming out with a bunch of profiles for each different team. I have articles on David Johnson – Lamar Jackson, Julio Jones, and many, many more on the way. So keep an eye out for those. All right. And then also uh, Sean Corner, Chris Raybond, and I will be updating our seasonal fantasy rankings this weekend and then uh, posting them early next week. So be sure to check those out. And then we will also have, I believe, uh, Corner and Raybond on the podcast next week to break down the rankings. Till then, that is going to do it for this episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. Please rate and review the show in iTunes. For Ian, I am Matthew Freeman, Matt at the Oracle. See you again next episode. Peace.